Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Wrath of Khan Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we talk about and celebrate Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, one minute at a time. I'm David Stoker. And I'm Chris LaSalle. Welcome back, Chris. Hello, Dave. Oh, getting some good stuff here, getting some good stuff. You betcha. So we are uh, on to minute number 38. And this minute starts with David finishing off his sentence of the military. Pawns of the military. Pawns of the military. And it ends with Kirk saying, no, that won't be necessary. So we will get to that in a moment. Yes, sir. So we finish up our conversation on Regula with uh, David saying of the military. And like you had said, it's basically him saying scientists have always been pawns of the military. And this furthers his you know, hatred, I guess, of – Starfleet or military people? He's definitely uh, definitely not a fan, and uh, it's pretty strong. Right. Uh, it's also interesting that you know Carol's like 180 degrees opposite. So this is her son. That's. He, I was going to say the same thing. Like she is clearly not on his side. Right. He has this vehement dislike of the Starfleet, and she is like puts him right in his place. Yeah, and I like the way she does it. I, I wish I could – the the cadence of the way she delivers that line, I yep. cannot and will not subscribe to your interpretation of this event. Right. D- don't you – I wish I had more opportunities in my life to disagree with someone <laughs> and use that exact <laughs> phrase. Right, yeah. Uh, and just the way she del- – I, lo- I love the way she delivers it. Um, uh, she mentions that you know, uh, because Starfleet has kept the peace for 100 years – Right, and I was wondering if that was just uh, if she was just is that hyperbole? Is she just exaggerating? Whatever. Um, so I did and some who, I, I did some digging just to see. Uh, right. Okay, I was going to ask you like, who has kept the peace? Who has Starfleet kept the peace with? Well, scientists. <laughs> um, that's a good point. But no, the the what I found was that uh, the the most recent war that Starfleet was involved in. Um, because I'm assuming the opposite of peace would have been a war, right? Yep. Uh, was the Earth-Romulan War, um, which ran or lasted from 2156 to 2160, which was 125 years prior to this moment. Okay. So I'm assuming she's talking about that. And that conflict was pretty, clearly pretty significant, Earth and Romulan. Yep. Um, a couple things came out of that. Uh, the the introduction of the the creation of the Romulan neutral neutral zone, yep. which we talked about way back at the Kobayashi Maru, that we know there's a Klingon yep. neutral zone and a Romulan neutral yep. zone, uh, and it also that war, the end of that war, immediately preceded uh, the incorporation of the United Federation of Planets. So until then, yep, uh, that organization didn't exist. And I went a little further. I didn't know this. Again, bad trekking. We're going to have to get T-shirts made, I think, for that. Bad Trekkie. Bad Trekkie. Bad Trekkie. Uh, do you know what uh, species, races, 
um, life forms, the original four life, let's say species, races, the original four races that incorporated the United Federation planets. Hmm. I would say... Maybe points for each one to get right. I I don't know. I would say humans, Earth. One point. Vulcans. Two points. That's about all I got. I wouldn't have guessed the other two either. Uh, The Andorians. Oh, okay. Which are our you know, blue buddies with the yep. antenna. And then I have no idea who these guys are, the Tellarites. Mm, no, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, they look kind of, I don't know, <clears throat> uh, like these pig-faced dudes. Uh, remind, re- reminded me of Ugnaughts from Star Wars, but uh, oh. that could be a judgment call on my part, and I don't want to, you know, <laughs> anybody mad at me. Um, so anyway, that was, I thought, that's just a nice little thread there. If, you know, Starfleet's kept the peace for 100 years, if, if this is the war she's referring to, that is actually a, quite a big deal because that's spun yeah. up a lot of stuff that becomes part of the Star Trek universe. Um, so, bad Trekkie. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting line, and I'm glad you did some research on it because I was going to ask you, you know, like I did, like, is that is it related to a war or is she some other event that we are not privy to? Right. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know. Okay. Good job. Thanks. Uh, I just need one more pat and back. Thank you. <laughs> so Jetta says, uh, you may be right, Doctor, but what about Reliant? She's on her way. But he clearly does not deliver it that way. The way he delivers it, it is perfect. Well, you know, you may be right, Doctor, but what about Reliant? She's on her way. Like, you know, it's almost, you know, like, what are we going to do? Even he's standing there, looks pretty calm. But you're right. It, yeah. The, uh, the the tone is like he's like he should have been at, like up, shaking her by the shoulders. Like, what right, are yeah. we gonna do? Almost, yeah. Like you know, she's yeah. on her way. And I just love that line. Um, in this minute, actually, uh, we have a cut or a um, director scene. You know, director's edition. Uh, director's edition edition, um, where Car- Carol Marcus says, uh, we'll get your gear together. And uh, Dell, the young African-American doctor or person, says, where are we going? And Carol Marcus says, that's for us to know and Reliant to find out. So she clearly, you know, from the very get-go when she had her interaction with Chekhov, I'm firmly believing that she had her hairs on end. You know, she was – she did not like that conversation with Chekhov. Yeah, they're, and, they're, they're making a break for it. Yeah, so they're bugging out. And wherever they may be going, she, you know, she obviously she tried to confirm it with Kirk, was unable to, you know, she intimated that she was, you know, needed help and angry about the situation that they were not going to take her 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 designs or her project and now they're they're out of there. Like they do not trust Reliant. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, even in the extended uh, scene you're talking about, she doesn't even mention that she talked to Kirk. Right. She I just wonder a little bit about the sequence of events here, but um, but yeah, she's got a plan. So we cut to, and I, I'm only going to bring it up so I can complain about it. Um, <laughs> we just briefly cut to uh, uh, Kirk walking down the hallway. Yep. Um, and it's one. It's another one of those scenes. Is the second time I've noticed it in the film now, where they they did not. Um, do any post-production sound editing. So you're just hearing, you know, 
Shatner walking down the set. You can hear his own, yep. you can hear his footsteps and the people walking by and the ambient noise and it just doesn't sound right. Like, and it, it bothers mm. me a little bit. Why didn't they, why didn't they fix that in post-production and, you know, right. Yeah. The Foley guy, you know, like, I mean, are those floors, I always thought the floors were carpeted in some way. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the same thing. That's what I thought. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, there's really nothing there. It's just, a, it's just kind of a bit of a transitional scene and, um, he does walk by a, a turbo lift door that does not look like it has a sticker on it, which is nice. No, yes. Uh, although it is only a passing glimpse. Uh, it looks pretty good, though. It's a, it's you know they're on deck B, where you know, but it does look uh, like they took more care on this door. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of cool details in the hallway too. It's, um, I think that when I was talking about it a few minutes ago, where everything looked like uh, brushed steel. Yeah, there, and uh, there wasn't much detailing in the hallways this one you get a lot more uh you know exposed uh, not everything's hidden behind walls you get exposed equipment and electronics and um i'm always a big fan of that kind of stuff and so it's nice to see here even though i have no idea what any of it is right there's a couple of pass couple of passageways too so there's you can see one sort of in the back mm-hmm. someone heading into some door and then someone coming out of another passage so there's a lot of i'm assuming this is going around the I want to say the neck, or is this a saucer, you know, close to the bridge? I'm assuming A deck would be the bridge, maybe? So maybe they're right under the bridge? Uh, yeah, I assume so. I mean, in, given where he's headed, he's looking, he's heading for Spock's quarters, so... Right. Yeah, it must be, must be near the bridge. Uh, yeah, and is this just one big, giant, circular hallway? Yeah, so I'm assuming, yeah. So now that I think about it, they're, they're probably somewhere on the saucer, hmm. saucer section somewhere. Say that ten times fast. Saucer section. I can't. I'll see if I can edit that in and loop you. <laughs> um, anyway, so just, uh, again, that that hallway annoys me. <laughs> uh, so then we cut to Spock meditating. Um, yeah. Which I think I've never noticed before that he's meditating, but he's using the Vulcan, <laughs> Vulcan you know, the Live Long and uh, Prosper. Yep. hand gesture and he's holding yep. two, both hands together I'm like oh that's fun I don't think I ever noticed that yep um, and then he looks up and wouldn't it be fun if Scott if, if Spock went Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk's just standing there <laughs> he is and he <laughs> I mean he, so so yeah is there any kind of you know doorbell when he enters or you know outside and you know who is it you know he's just Admiral privileges, I guess. He can sneak into any room. He can just walk in unannounced. Um, or maybe he was out there for five minutes and like, what the? the computer, let me in. Just let me in. Spock's meditating again. Um, so let's talk about where, where do we start? So we got it. The camera kind of pulls back from Spock. Um, and Kirk, uh, you know, Kirk delivers his first line. Yeah, we have a problem. Yep. And it, it's of note that he doesn't deliver that line until we can see him in the mirror. Yep. So the camera pulls back. There's Kirk in the mirror. We have a problem. But now there's all sorts of fun stuff to look at. Oh, yes. So that mirror, I love that mirror. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the mirror. <laughs> Why aren't you a big fan of the mirror? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. It. I just don't like it. Um. I always thought it was cool. I always wondered how it worked. and like, wow, that's so spacey, right? Yeah. Uh, I Unfortunately, though, 
had the opportunity to see one of those in real life somewhere, like at some, you know, like a lighting showroom or something. Yeah. And I actually saw it in person, and it was a huge disappointment. Oh. <laughs> it kind of wrecked it for me. I'm like, oh, so it's a real right. thing. Those aren't just, you know, you know, obviously it's whatever. I don't even know how it works, but I was just like, oh, I would prefer only to have seen that in Spock's room and not in real life. Mm, that's but, too bad. But you don't like it? No, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't know why. I just don't like it. For your birthday. (laughs) Thanks. You can Uh, get me that gold tapestry, though. You know, that gold tapestry, is it a tapestry or is it made out of pennies? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I really wish we had a uh, nice close-up of it, right? Because it's hard to tell. Is it it cloth? Is it metal? Is it... I don't know. It's, it's, It's almost like those little... I don't know, sequins maybe, because if you look at it, the top is definitely sort of shimmering, so maybe their top thing pieces are moving a little bit. Maybe. So from fan or whatever, airflow. Oh, is it actually shimmering in the shot? Yeah, so if you look at the sort of upper left, you can sort of see some of the, some of them move a little bit, and you sort of, Uh, so you get. That's probably just the boom mic guy. (laughs) Could be, yeah, definitely could be. But uh, I definitely believe that it's just like – it's a tapestry of like sequins or something, shiny sequins. Oh. Well, I'm going to stick or some, with uh, – Or some such item like that. Okay. I'm going to stick with my theory that it's made out of pennies. <laughs> okay. Uh, listeners, if you want to share what you think it's made out of and also of what it is. I mean, it's, Yeah. Is it, it looks it is a little a, bit like the Starfleet logo but not. So I'm like, is it a Vulcan thing? It almost reminds me of the uh, – um, the ship from Asteroids. <laughs> yes, it does. That's right. Just needs a little flame, you know, sticking out of the back when you... Shh. Yeah. All right. So the Asteroids tapestry. I'm sure this is going to be one of those bad Trekkies where someone's going to be like, dudes, you should know what that is. That's the Vulcan symbol of right. whatever. That's pure logic. Yeah. Symbolized by the mountain of, you know, Mount Vulcan on Vulcan. Right. Uh, that's terrible. We are. We shouldn't sound like we're making fun of Trekkies. So please don't take it that way. <laughs> yes, we're we're calling ourselves bad Trekkies. We so. want to know all of this stuff and wish we knew it all. Yes, so we're just jealous. So there's the mirror, the tapestry, and is that a skull? I've always thought that was a skull, but uh, damned if I can tell what it's a skull of. It it, it looks because clearly, I mean, I, I you see the over on the right, it's a black. Where would the nose would be? The nose, the nasal cavity, and then the eye, and then it almost looks like there's some sort of fang. Yeah, I'm seeing it in a different direction and orientation, and I just, I don't know, every way I kind of spin it in my head, it's some mm. horrifying creature. I'm wondering if uh, one of the many trials that Spox goes through, maybe he had to kill it? <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. You know, Vulcan is a rocky, you know, volcanic planet. You think it would be logical to keep a trophy? I do not believe it would be logical, but he is half human. All right. That's how we're going to explain all this stuff away. Why does a Vulcan have art? Yes. Why? Would, well, can they appreciate, you know, is appreciation in him? Uh, you know, he's not data. So he's not like Vulcans have emotions. They just suppress them. Hmm. Okay. So he must have, he must get enjoyment, not just out of being logical. 
he must get enjoyment out of things that he can appreciate. You know, a, a, a fine Romulan ale or a fine tapestry or a ruby dog statue. Is, you think that's what that is? I have no idea what that is. Some weird dog head? It's like some sort of Pokemon. Or it's... A, or it's a, you're very timely with your Pokemon Go references. <laughs> Um, I thought it was. I thought that it could also have been just like a uh, a statue of a flame. Could be. Could be. Um, Almost looks like a seal rearing up. Yes. <laughs> so I like, how right. we, I like how we carefully uh, steered away from the hole we were digging ourselves into, <laughs> talking about Vulcan's appreciation of art. Because clearly, <laughs> that is a uh, <laughs> that is probably one that could be debated endlessly. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, it's probably best to move away. <laughs> well, anyway, we can get back to the minute. Let's get back to the minute. So <laughs> Spock says, if memory serves regular ones, a scientific research lab, which I find that impressive. Cause that I he remembers be, that. Yeah. I yeah. would think there'd be tons of scientific research labs in Starfleet. Totally. Sort of like, remember. how would he just, yeah, he's big brain on Brad. <laughs> Spock is so smart. He is. Um, uh, a couple. I, I mean, the, the, the conversation. This is kind of the beginning of a conversation here, which I think gets a little more meaty in the next minute, and yep. uh, kind of really, uh, I think, touches on that. You know, emphasizes, touches on, highlights their relationship um, and, and who they are as characters. And right, um, yes. But this, you know, this is just a little bit. At the beginning of this is, you know, Kirk saying, "Yeah, we just got a boatload of children." Um, uh, and that Starfleet wants them to. Did he say? Is this the minute where he says Starfleet's asked us to investigate? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just we've been ordered to investigate. So I have a question for you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, do you think Starfleet ordered them to investigate, or is this yet another ruse on Kirk's part to get the Enterprise, just like he did in the motion picture? And he would know that Spock, being the logical person he is, would have to give up command. Yeah. So he's, he's, not, he's not Deckard, right? Who put up a big yeah. stink. Yep. But uh, so they're friends, they're buddies, and he knows that Spock, being the Vulcan he is, would simply give it up. Yeah. You know, he even says it to him. He says, "You know, of course the ship, the ship is yours." So he knows. I think he knows Kirk's true feelings, and I think he also is. You know, I know I'm I'm giving you permission to take the ship. Mm. Right, but it's Kirk. Yeah, I just I I, I want I mean I think I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't think Kirk is truly you know making a play. Right, I'm sure he no. did call Starfleet and you know. They oh yeah, he definitely talked. I believe, but does he persuade them in such a way to say you know we'll check it out? You know, I got this message from Dr. Carol Marcus, and seems like something's going on there. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go check it out. It's right down the street. <laughs> we are the only ship in the quadrant. And <laughs> so they're on a little training. You know, they're still doing the indulgence, you know, Sulu's indulgence. So they're just sort of flying around. I would assume that they're still within some reasonable amount of time, you know, distance from Earth. So does that mean there's no ships anywhere, 
near where they are that could that could go. I feel like that's that's a bit of a stretch. I feel like that's a stretch. Yeah, you're dubious like I am. Yes, I feel like that's it's a big space. Yes. Um, in the novelization, he said we were the only ship in the octant, which would be a what half of the quadrant. Yes. It seems a little more reasonable to me because, you know, okay, it's less space, you know, so maybe he is the only ship. But, geez, yeah, how many ships does Starfleet have? Four? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll see much more. I mean, I'm not – I'm jumping movies, but we'll see in the next movie, we'll see multiple ships. And they're all near Earth. So if they're somewhat near Earth, you would think that there would be multiple ships around. So you're just adding more to the theory that Kirk is pulling a fast one. I don't think he's pulling a fast one. I just think, you know, like you said, in the book, it was a different term. And I think the quadrant term just sounds better. Sure. You know, we're the only ship in the quadrant. You know, yeah, that, sounds, that sounds cool. Yeah, octic doesn't sound like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I say it now, it sounds less and less like a word. <laughs> Octant. I don't know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, I do want to call out. I do want to call out the one line in here that I, I, I do love. There's, there's a few few lines and a few. There's a, there's a bunch of lines in this movie that I love. Mm. Um, Kirk asks Spock, you know, these cadets of yours, how good are they and how will they respond under real pressure? And Spock's line, as with all living things, each according to his gifts. Yep. Again, that's like another, I mean, I guess it's not really a standalone thing you'd put hang on the wall. But it's, right. like, it's a fantastic response and it, 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 it Again, it goes back to uh, – it makes me think of like it's almost poetic in a way and not so much cold and logical like a, you would expect a Vul- – I, I guess I wouldn't expect a, a quote-unquote regular Vulcan to say something like that. Right, right yeah. He, you know, you'd be just throwing out efficiency ratings or something. Well, their average efficiency rating is 4.5. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's very zen. It's very zen, yes. And I suppose it, it goes very well with the scene, right? He's, he's still – still in his meditative pose. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, anyway, big fan of that line. No, it is a great, I mean, even when, you know, Kirk delivers the, you know, these cadets of yours, how good are they? Will they respond? How will they respond to real pressure? You know, he's, he's concerned that we could get into some stuff and, you know, how would they respond? You know, we're just on a, you know, we're flying around the moon here and we're just sort of taking things out for a shakedown you know, if we call down the thunder, you know, are they going to respond? Right, when the crowd and I, hits the fan. Yep, yeah, and I agree with you. I think Spock's line is fantastic there. Yep. It's also a bit of a cop-out. He, really, <laughs> he didn't really answer him. <laughs> uh, but I like, how he, I like how he transitions, though. It's sort of like he gets to the meat of it. He's, he, he answers without answering, mm-hmm. as with all living things, each according to his gifts. And then he's like, of course, the ship is your – you know, he, he gets to the real heart of it, which is you're asking me for the ship without asking me. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's basically saying, you know, how good are they? Will they respond under pressure if I give commands? Good point. Yep. And then Spock just naturally answers without answering and goes right into it. You know, the ship's yours, buddy. <laughs> You could read it a different way. <laughs> I agree with you. But I think you could read it a different way, too, that it's like, oh, as with all living things, each according to his gifts. And, man, these cadets suck. So the ship, <laughs> it is yours because I don't want this problem. <laughs> uh, but I doubt it's that way. He does seem to have some uh, tremendous respect for his cadets. Yes. 
I think so. Yeah. I don't think Spock would pick bad cadets. Do you? I do not. Do not. So, but of course, Kirk is quick to jump in, you know, no, that, and it's such a lame attempt. You know, it's, it's, no, that won't be necessary. You know, just the way he says it, it's, you, you know, he's lying. You just oh, know he's lying. Of course. And Spock calls him out on it later. I know. Which is one thing I love about Spock. He knows, he knows his friend. Right. Definitely. Yep. All right, sir. Anything else uh, for minute 38? No. We're rolling right along. Rolling right along. We're only, we're only 12 episodes away, 12 minutes away from episode 50. Wow. Can you yeah. believe it? In some ways I can't. In some ways I can. I'm loving this. Yeah, it's a good time. But all right, nerds. Um, we're going to stop here. So in the meantime, while we're gone, you can, uh, if you want to find us, we're online on the internet, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, you can join in the conversation with us on Facebook at the Rathacon Minute Listener Federation or drop us an email, podcast at Um Until then, uh, we'll be back. And we will be back again on Friday with Minute 39 of Star Trek to the Rathacon here at the Rathacon Minute. Of course, the ship is yours. That won't be necessary. <laughs>